0: All right, well thank you guys. That was a very warm welcome, you're so kind. Um, All right, well actually where I wanted to start is we're gonna do a quick little survey of our room, or our yard. All right, who here is already married? Woo, Kately, Scott, yes, okay. Who here is thinking that maybe someday they would like to be married? Okay, not quite everyone, but a lot of you. Okay, a lot of you. Anyone feeling like they're called to singleness for a little bit? Anybody? Yep. Yes, or some your friends are telling you maybe singleness. All right. Okay. All right. Well, here's what I love about going through a book all together in its fullness. I think sometimes we are tempted to to skip over things that we think might be too difficult, and there are difficult texts in Scripture, and we try to avoid those at times, we also try and um, miss the things that we think we don't really want to hear. Or maybe, maybe for tonight, we kind of work through Ephesians 5, and we're single, and we get to this little subtitle that says, wives and husbands, you think, that is not me. That is not my life right now, and we can kind of easily skip over that. And when we work through Scripture in its fullness, we guard against skipping some good stuff that the Lord has for us because we have to work through all of it. And so I'm glad we're working through Ephesians in this manner so that we can hear because I think every one of us has something to hear tonight in Ephesians 5. Um, But there is a question that I want you to hold at the back of your minds as I go through our text tonight, and that is, do you trust God? Do I trust God? Okay, just hold that in the back. As we work through this, we're going to come back to it. But I think that's the question we need to come to. What we're looking at tonight is actually a continuation from where Drew had us last week. So for those that weren't there, those that have, you know, had about 20 zillion tests in the last week, I'm going to give you just a quick refresher. Drew left us off. We're in Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. And Paul has given us a glimpse into what a life that is continually being filled by the Holy Spirit looks like. And he kind of gives us a list of four things. And it includes, we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We are singing and making music to the Lord. We are always giving thanks for everything. And we are submitting one to another. That's what life is what the Holy Spirit looks like. And so it's natural then, as Paul has given us this list, that he would then move to the relationships that are close to us. The closest, actually, is here in marriage. And he's going to continue on. Marriage is not the only relationship he wants to address. But for tonight, we're going to address marriage. That's where Paul has us. Because here's the thing. If I am in Christ and I have this spirit in me, then it will significantly impact my relationship with Casey, my husband. If Casey never hears the gospel come out of my mouth, if he never sees the gospel lived out, there's a there's a brokenness there. Cuz I can't claim Christ and then treat him harshly or neglect him. Those don't those don't go together. And Paul's going to walk us through that. See, what we're talking about tonight It's not going to be difficult to understand. You're going to follow what I have pretty easily. But it is hard to live out. It will be that. And as as Scott said, honestly, some of you may not like all that we're going to walk through. It may be hard to hear. And I, I hope that you will stick with it. Because I think what you're going to see is Paul is not asking wives or husbands to do something radically new. He's actually calling them both to look like Jesus, just in different ways. All right, so here we go. Ephesians 5, we're going to start in verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything now our culture has distorted this word to submit this word submission and it can kind of be difficult to hear it almost gives you a little cringe like you can have that response to it i think for some you have used this you have seen this word used misinterpreted as a way To keep wives trapped in abusive relationships. Which grieves me that we need to address that. His wives, future wives, the Lord is not saying that in this text. He's not going to say that anywhere in scripture. That you are not to endure physical or emotional abuse at the hand of your husband. That is not the design of God's marriage. If you ever find yourself in that spot, you need to get out, and you need to get help. Okay? I felt like that needed to be said. That is heavy, but that needs to be spoken up because it is a reality. Um, on the other side, I think for others of us, this word brings about some connotations of passivity or demeaning, a lowering, a less than, But I want you to think back to what we talked about last week and where we get our cues from Scripture and how that changes how we look at words like submission. And we look at it in its rightful context, which is in Scripture. So we're going to do a little bit of clarifying here. We're going to do this for husbands also. So what this word, what this text is, is not saying, what is not meaning is that wives, you are less than your husbands, that wives, you are subservient to your husbands, that you have no voice in your marriage. That is not what is being said here. Nor do I think that Paul is getting at what you do or don't do in your marriage. This is not to be used as how you determine who does what chore. That's not what Paul is trying to do. Some of you guys are going to be excellent cooks, and you're going to serve the house by cooking meals, and that will be awesome, right? Okay, at our house, neither one of us like cooking, so we're just out of luck. So we both have to just suck it up, and we're both going to cook. Paul's not getting at who's doing what in the marriage. That's not the point of this text. And let me tell you, Christian sisters, your husband, your future husband, he is not your Savior. Jesus is. He will always be that. And he is the one who models for us what it's going to look like to sacrificially submit. We're going to look to him. Again, this is, this is not hard to understand. It is a little difficult to live out. Let's continue. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So I think Paul does something kind of unexpected here. He's just called wives, and he's told them, I want you to submit out of reverence to the Lord. And so it kind of seems natural that Paul would then look at the husbands and go, okay, and here's how you're going to lead. Here's how you're going to rule. This is what this looks like in your marriage. But he doesn't do that. Wives, I want you to submit out of reverence. Husbands, I want you to love your wives. I want you to love that wife that I have given you. And like he did with the instruction to wives, Our standards aren't other humans. It's Christ. He's our standard. And I think it's interesting that in our culture, the shock factor comes as the church has wives. We say we want to submit to our husbands out of reverence to Christ. That was not the case in Ephesus at this time. That would have been completely normal. Sure, I mean, yes, wives, submit. That's what you do. What would have been shocking in Ephesus in this Roman culture was that the church was going to ask their husbands to love their wives. What are you talking about? Their culture wouldn't have grasped that. Like, this was a, a business partnership. Like, husbands have nothing to do except for to provide a little bit of care in your food and your shelter, and then you give them legitimate children so they can pass on their property, and, that, and that's it. Like, this isn't, this isn't love. This isn't, um, we're going to communicate about what we would like to do, how we want to see the children raised. That's not what they're doing. That culture didn't understand this. And Paul says that's not so with the church. Husbands, I want you to love your wives. You need to love your wife. And like the word submit, we've kind of hijacked this word also. We've hijacked the word love. We've kind of watered it down to these sentimental feelings, typically based on our own self-interest and our own selfish desires. I've never heard it said like this, but I I think as I watch cultures, I watch romantic comedies, I think this is what is being said. I love you because you make me feel good about my favorite subject and that's me, because it's all about me. And should, Those feelings change. Should you not make me feel good about me? Should you be a little less attractive than when we first got together? Should my heart begin to flutter for someone else? Well, then my happiness, well, that's the most important thing. So I clearly can move on because it's all about me. I am so grateful that that is not the picture the Bible gives us of how we love someone and how we receive love Here's what the text doesn't mean. Husbands, you are not here to force your wife into submission. That's not your role. Nor are you to lord your power over them in any way. But you love your wife in a way that helps her flourish in her walk with the Lord to follow Christ's example of love for his bride, the church. He loved her so much that he gave himself for her not reluctantly, but willingly, not partially, but completely, not out of a lack or a need for anything, but from the wholeness of who he is. Why? Why does he do that? And if it's possible to say that Paul is giddy, I think Paul is giddy here as he continues this. In Ephesians 5, 26, it says, Why? To make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Can I just say, wow, we can't rush past this. When Christ gave his own life for the church, he loved so much. The church didn't exist yet. He gave his life for something that was still to come, He loved the church so much that he himself would make his bride lovable. He would be the one to make her holy, which means he would be the one to set her apart. She is special because he has made her so. And he will be the one to wash her and to present her in splendor. To who? Did you catch that? Who's he going to present to? To himself. Remember Ephesians 2, this great gospel text. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked. We were by nature children under wrath. And then we read those beautiful words. But God, who is rich in mercy, he loved you so much that he washed your sins with his own blood on Calvary, taking on the wrath of God, which we call that propitiation. It's a big word. He took on the wrath of God in our place making peace between us and God through Jesus. And the picture we are seeing here in Ephesians 5 is that he is walking us up the aisle, his bride, without spot and without wrinkle, but holy and blameless. And if you have time, I would love for you to go back to Ephesians 1 because he talks a lot about this, the seven blessings we have in Christ. And these are some that are included and he includes it here again in 5. But we need to continue. Ephesians five twenty nine. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. Now, no normal, healthy person, he or she is going to hate their body so much that they would let it be ignored, right? We're going to feed our bodies. We're going to nourish them. And I've seen you all on Thursdays, right? Every night Betty rings that bell and we come running, okay? Self-preservation is alive in this group. It is true. I've seen it. You guys are good. You're not neglecting to eat, which you shouldn't. Don't do that. Um, But he's giving us this beautiful picture, husbands, that you need to make sure your wife is nourished and she is cared for. You don't neglect her. You don't starve her to death. You care for her. You help her flourish. That is your role. And Christian brothers, your future wife, she can't save you. Jesus saves you. And he's the one you're going to look to to model loving sacrificially. Ephesians 5 31 For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up each one of you is to love his wife as himself and the wife is to respect her husband. Here at the end, as Paul closes his section on marriage, he draws our attention back to Genesis 1 and 2. Back to the original design, back before their sin, back before everything was broken. He takes us back there. You see, thousands of years ago, when God created all things and set in motion marriage, it was never just about two individual people. See, marriage gets at something much bigger than that, something much richer than that, something, as Paul says, profound that has now been revealed in Christ. And that is that God has designed marriage to be a reflection of the gospel, to be a sign of God's covenantal Love for his people, which is a self-giving love. See, marriage points to a greater marriage, which is why our roles can have some similarity, right? All believers are to love one another and submit to one another. But in marriage, these are not interchangeable because we're looking at a greater marriage. Husbands walking in humility as they love their wives, reflecting Christ Wives, walking in humility, submitting, representing, reflecting the church. I'm going to turn to Philippians 2 for this. Adopt the same mind as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself. By assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he came as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, if the gospel is true, and I absolutely believe that it is true, then none of us come with any rights. Everything we have has been given to us in and through Christ He is the fullness. So the question we began with at the beginning is, do you trust God? Do you trust that God is not robbing you of anything when he asks you to love or to submit sacrificially? Do you trust that his commands can lead you to a greater joy, to a greater marriage, to a greater relationship with him? Because in him, all things find themselves whole. And I think for some of you, that's an easy yes. And it has been a long time, maybe. But that's not all of us in this, in this space. And so for those of you that that isn't an easy yes, that trusting God for whatever reason is not easy for you, I, I hope you'll stick with us. Keep coming back to Ephesians. Come meet us, ask us questions. We want to walk with you in this. But it's an important question for us to ask. Do I trust God? Do I trust Him in this way? Okay, we're going to take a, a quick break. Um, so bathrooms, hot cocoa, Alex's going to come. Yes. So do what we need to do. All
1: right. So I want to start where, where Randy left off in talking about how, how marriage, the way God designed it, the way He intended it, um, reflects the gospel. It reflects back on the goodness of Jesus and His love for the church. So I want to kind of give a a brief, somewhat overview of the the gospel of God, the good good news of God, the story of God. And I want you to notice some things in that story, in the story, that bring some major implications to, to marriage, to how we understand marriage and how we live it out. So, Here's the statement I want to say: Is the, that gospel is the means for marriage to be a mirror that reflects the gospel. That the gospel is the means for marriage to be successful in doing what God designed it to do, which was is not just about um, two people and their happiness. It's not just about two people starting a family. It's not just about those things. It, it is it is a beautiful picture of. God's love for the church through Jesus. And so it is the means. It's like it's the gospel is the means. It has to be central. It's like the wood um, in a fire. It's like the electricity that powers a light. It is the means by which marriage can be successful to do what it's intended to do. So here's a gospel quick. In the beginning, God created all things, and it was good, and he created us in his own image. And it was very good. And we were created to live and to thrive under His authority. But instead, we rebelled and did what we wanted. And all of us took what God gave us, like the life He gave us, gifts, opportunities, the pleasures He gave us. And we used them for our own purposes. And God calls this sin. And sin eternally separated us from our Creator. And, and nothing, and no one can overcome that, or could overcome that. But God, and this will sound familiar from Ephesians 2, but God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love for us, He set in motion a plan to redeem and to restore the world back to Himself. And it started with a husband and a wife, Abraham and Sarah, called out, eventually that grew into a family, and eventually, that family grew into the nation of Israel, and they were His chosen people. Now, what does Israel have to do with marriage? Actually, a lot. Um, if you've ever wondered, why didn't, why didn't it just go from Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve sinned, to Matthew 1? Why, why do we have to have that whole long story about Israel? Well, this might help. It started with this family. Chosen, it grew into God's God's chosen people, the Israelites. And they were an imperfect people. And God loved them unconditionally. Clue number one. He established a covenant with him that they could not uphold. That they failed him constantly. But he kept his end of the bargain. He never failed his side. He committed a covenant. And he, and he never backed away. He never failed of fulfilling His end. And in doing this, God demonstrated many things in the Old Testament with the people of Israel that have major implications um, for, for biblical marriage. And so God demonstrated things like faithfulness and righteousness and His grace and forgiveness and patience and trustworthiness. And all of this was part of God's plan, and all of this, this, this plan pointed to and culminated in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so Jesus comes along and he demonstrates many more things uh, that have major implications to, to how we understand marriage. And, and Randy described them beautifully. Jesus came in complete submission to the Father, and he lived this life that God asked him to live. And He lived it perfectly, uh, because we can't. And He died in our place, so that we don't have to. He died for our sins, so that we don't have to. He he conquered death and rose from the grave, so that someday those of us who believe and trust in Him, we will also. And when this happened, His Spirit came uh, to all those who believed, and the church was born. And the church is called the Bride of Christ, and so this is how the gospel is the means for marriage. Because, because the story of God brings so much, um, so much of our understanding of who God is and, and then who we are called to be as His people. So God, again, demonstrated things like covenantal faithfulness and righteousness and grace and forgiveness and patience and trustworthiness. And Jesus demonstrated submission to the Father. You know, that prayer in the garden, Not my will, but yours be done. And self sacrifice and, and putting others' needs ahead of his own, like Randy um, talked about and read from Philippians 2. And, 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 and obviously, the other big thing he did was he, he died in, in, in our place and reconciled back to God, so reconciled us back to God so that we could have a, a right relationship with him, so that we could um, be set free from these cycles of sin. Um, that, that, that hinder us and, and trip us up and, and hurt us and hurt our relationships. And he, and he made a way for us to put off the old and to put on the new. So what we talked about a couple weeks ago. So whenever I do a wedding, after I, I walk through this story of God and how it points to and, and how God demonstrates um, biblical marriage in a lot of ways, I say to the wife, I said this to to Kate Lee. I said in the same way Jesus lived in submission to the Father, you are to demonstrate your love for in submission to Jesus by submitting to your husband. That's what Mary that, that's what marriage that's how he, he's designed it. And that's exactly what Randy described. To the husband I say in the same way that Jesus loves the church unconditionally with self-sacrifice you are to demonstrate your love for in submission to Jesus. All of us are called to submit by loving your wife unconditionally with self-sacrifice. And then I say, and it's impossible to do, by the way, <laughs> without God's Spirit. Because we were never intended to do, that's, it's a tall order. It's, a, it's an extremely tall order to do, and you can't do it on your own. This is why marriage is for grown ups. And this is something that um, hopefully you hear us say over and over uh, because I believe it's true. Marriage is for grown ups because it, it, it requires a sense of, it requires some, some, some character and some maturity to be able to recognize what God has done for you and to be able to offer that same to others. And especially to your spouse. And so, but because of God's grace to them, they are to offer grace to each other. Because of God's forgiveness, they are to offer forgiveness. Love, they are to love. Faithfulness, they are to be faithful. God is faithful to them, and they are to be faithful to their spouse. And so their, their marriage becomes, it, it, it is based on this reality of the Gospel, like what Randy was describing. And, and when this is working, it's an incredible thing. And so I want to talk a little bit about what this looks like in real life. And, and so uh, two years ago in September of 2018, we had a fall retreat. We asked a guy named Randy Garris to come and to speak to us and to talk about relationships. Randy has been uh, a pastor for about 40 years. He was at one church for about 35 years in Joplin, Missouri. And uh, he had recently retired and he took over as this like, chaplain for Ozark Christian College, which is the college I went to, the college Drew went to, the college Alec is, uh, is currently at, finishing up at. And so Randy is this incredibly wise, um, faith, faithful man, inspiring man, incredible preacher. I, when I was in college, he was the preacher everybody wanted to go hear because he has an incredible gift to, to communicate. But Randy came and he did this, this three-part series called Relationship Status. And uh, we on our we have a podcast, by the way, uh, The Table OSU, and it's on any of your Apple podcasts. You can find it there. I think it's on SoundCloud. If you want to listen to these three messages, I would encourage you to do that. You're going to hear, um, if you've listened to them before, you're going to hear some of that in, in these next three weeks, but um, I would encourage you to listen to the full version. They're incredible. But Randy described something that I want to kind of talk through. And I'll use a couple of his illustrations and some of my own, but um, he talked about three models of love. And, 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 and I think these three models really help flesh out what, this, what it looks like when we, um, when we don't practice, when we don't um, understand biblical marriage and we try to live it out maybe our own way. And so these three models of love, and I have a, I have a word for each of them. Okay, so here's the first one. First model is called a contract. It's a contract-based love, okay? And this, this kind of love that, that heads into marriage has about a one to, year, one to three year shelf life. It lasts about one to three years. And here's how it goes. If you meet my needs, I'll love you back. If you meet my needs, I'll love you back. Sometimes people take it further and say, and I'll love you more when you change. (laughs) But don't worry, I'll change you and it'll be fine. Um, A lot of people enter into marriage thinking, yeah, this is about my, this is what Randy even described a little, this is about my happiness. And right now, you make me happy. And so I love you. But, But there's some things that I'm not real crazy about. But don't worry, I'll fix those and I'll make you better so that, that I can love you better because you'll make me more happy. And, and when, when nobody says it that way, every, every couple that stands before me that I've married, you know, all 20 to 20, 30 couples or whatever, they all say, till death do us part. Every couple does this, right? But you know, how, you know how you can look back after five years, maybe 10 years, and you think about something stupid that you did, and, and maybe at the time you made some excuse about why you did it, but over time you start to have perspective and you can go, yeah, that's really what I was thinking. I, I think if couples are honest and they've been in this situation, they can look back and go, yeah, that's, that's me. That's really what I was doing. Maybe you've been in a relationship like that, where it's your love is based on what they do for you, how they make you feel, how they make you look, um, it's, it's really about you. And selfishness kills this love. It's pretty simple. Um, that one's easy. That one, that one we can maybe pick up on easy. This next one actually is going to sound like it's the one. And when, when you hear me say it, you're going to think, that sounds great. And, it, and, it's, and it's a chemistry-based love. Okay? So this one's chemistry. First one was contract, this one's chemistry. The contract idea is, you know, we have a contract, and when you keep your end of the bargain, I'll keep mine, but if you don't, I won't. But this one is chemistry-based love. And this one is, I love you because of who you are. Now, that sounds great. That one, you could put on a Hallmark card. That one, you could put, you know, you could tweet that, and people would like it. I love you because of who you are. What's wrong with that one? The problem is, um, time and circumstances will kill this one. And here's what I mean. So this one is, this, this love is based on who they were when they married them, or, or common interests, right? And so, a, a lot of people, and this, this one, honestly, my wife and I have struggled um, to slip back into think, this kind of thinking. In our marriage, and um, two years ago, when Randy came and spoke at this fall retreat, Ryan and I were kind of in a in a weird spot, and things always get weird for me at the beginning of the year i 'm really busy and stressed, and whatever and I take it out she 's usually the worst the fr- the first person I take it out on okay um, it 's often the people you love the most is who you treat the worst when you 're at your worst and and so that it was kind of one of those cases and and so anyway. <laughs> Drew, I wasn't planning on saying this, but I guess I'm going to now. Um, so, so Drew and I sat down with Randy before he was getting ready to have his very first marriage talk. Okay? We were at dinner at this camp. He's like, so I'm getting ready to talk to your students about marriage. How's yours? And I was like, oh, please don't. <laughs> please don't ask me that. I don't want to talk about my marriage. I, I'm just, just do your thing. Help them students, you know. And so he just kind of looked at me, and Drew didn't have anything to say. I was hoping Drew had something to say. He didn't have anything to say. So I said, well, honestly, we're really struggling because we struggle to find things that we love to do together. And he looked at me and said, that's not your problem. And I'm just like, what? Um, no, you didn't, you didn't hear me. Let, let me. let me explain it another way. I explained it another way. He's like, yeah, that's not your problem. He said, every common interest, it has a shelf life. He said, every, even if you find something that you would love to do together, and, and some, some circumstance could rob you of that experience. You love to go on a bike ride? Great. What, what if you break your leg and you can't? You love to hike? Well, what if you move somewhere where there's, the hiking is terrible? Um, like Oklahoma. Um, so, And he just kind of started walking through all these common interests that, I, that, that my wife and I wish we had more of these kinds of things. He's like, yeah. Those don't last. Those don't last. And so let me back up. Because th- this one is, I think, worth spending a little more time on. This one we all do. And this one is actually a great way to date, by the way. Because in this one, we all have standards. We should have standards. If you don't have standards, come talk to us. We'll give you some standards. <laughs> you need standards. Um, so, so we come up with a list, right? We, we come up with a list of, of what we like and what we want. You know, I I want somebody that that is into this, or somebody that obviously, you know, we're we're at a church thing, so we're going to say spiritual, we're going to say you know Christ-like, we're going to say those things. Okay, so let's take those off the table, although those are incredibly important. Um, But but you know, you get down to some of the specific things, things you like and things you're interested in. You have this list, right? You create this list, and then you know, let's say you could line up ten people, and and you could go down this list and you go yeah i think hmm, you you hit 85% of them that's the highest one i'll take you okay so you marry this person you know what happens though is time changes us and so this this one person you pick because you liked that they're outgoing and and fun and life of the party you know give it 10 years and They've been in a, a, a job that has put a lot of pressure and responsibility on them, that's made them a little more of a stick in the mud. <laughs> and, and so when they come home from work, you may be excited to see them, but they're just ready to be home and, and decompress, and they're on edge, and they're irritated, and they're impatient, and they're not what you hoped they would be when, when they walked in the door. And so you have, you know, you, you have children, and you don't know how that's going to change Things you you move, or you have an unexpected tragedy, or you have personality changes. You 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 used to just love to just sit and hang out with me, and you know now you want to go and to all these parties, and I don't want to go to these parties. You know there's all there's these things that that change. And when my my wife and I met, I was at the height of my outgoing stage of my life Okay, I had just, just moved to Ozark Christian College I was excited to just meet and hang out with people I wanted to be wherever people were and I was excited to be there and <laughs> 22 years later we've been married 22 years Twenty, actually 24 years later but anyway 22 years later after being married my, one of my favorite things to do on a day off is sit and read and she's like going yeah I hate to read I'd rather be mowing the grass... than That's my wife. My wife would rather be mowing the grass than reading. Can you understand that? I don't understand that. Um, she would rather be picking weeds in the yard than reading a book. Not me. And so, all of a sudden, it's like these things have just happened. Like some of you, um, you're, 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 you're getting out from home and you're here and you're discovering things about yourself and you're, you're going to continue discovering things. Think about yourself five years ago. And ten years ago. Have you changed? And so in five years from now, in ten years from now, what will you be like? You don't even know. (laughs) That's the thing. That's why this one doesn't last. is because you don't know who you are going to be in ten years, let alone the person you married. So if I haven't scared you enough... Um, there's hope. Let me let me say this. Actually, he asked this question. I want to. I think it's worth asking. He said, Gare, Gare says this: If you if you fall in love with someone because of what they are, what do you do when they are no longer what they were?" It's a great question. And time and circumstance can kill this kind of love. So that's why we need this last one, and this is the, and this is the biblical one. And it's covenant. It's a covenant-based love. That's the C word. It's lifelong. This one is, my love is unconditional. This one is not based on the spouse. It's not based on what they do or don't do. It is based on God's unconditional love. Again, He is the fuel. God, the gospel, is the, is the, is the fuel to this love. And it's a never-ending fuel. It's a never-ending flame. So how does this love work? Um, So Tucker, do you like big dogs? Okay, perfect. Tucker does not like big dogs. But Tucker and Caitly have this little cute house over here somewhere. And let's say this big mangy dog comes hanging around Tucker's house and is, uh, it won't go away, and Tucker hates big dogs, uh, and so he decides he's going to call the pound. It's like over the weekend, he's, first thing Monday morning, he's calling the pound, have them come pick this thing up quick, and so Monday comes around, he calls the pound, and they say, oh, you know what, we're really busy, it's going to be a week before we can get over there, and so he's like, a week? Okay, fine. He's like, well, I'm not feeding this thing, he can figure it out himself. Well, the dog Start stays, you know, stays around Tucker's house. He's, he's hanging out there. He notices he's hungry, so he says, okay, fine, we got some leftover scraps from dinner. You can have this. Eat, eat, eat the scraps. He eats the scraps, and then, he, and then it starts to rain, and it's getting colder out, and Tucker's like, okay, <sighs> fine, okay, there, let me get you on the back porch, at least out of the rain. I'll just put something here where you can just stay out of the rain, but that's it. I'm not giving you any more, just that's it. And then Tucker gives him a little more food. And then by the, end of the by middle of the week, Tucker says, okay, what's one, bag of, what's one bag of dog food? I'll buy one bag of dog food. And then I'll give him some food. And, and he's out of the rain, and it's cold. And you know what? He's filthy dirty. So it's a nice day. Let me hose him off. So he hoses him off, cleans him up. And he's like, you know what? This dog's kind of fun. And, and, he, and he, he brought this stick up to me, and he wants me to throw it. So I threw the stick, and he went and got the stick, and he brought it back to me. That was kind of cool. And then Tucker names the dog. And you know what happens, right? So by Monday, they show up. And he's like, no, no, no. Ah, you're not keeping this. This is my dog. So what happens in a week? What happens to Tucker in a week, from Monday to Monday? The dog didn't do anything for him. So let me tell you another story. This one is actually a real story. This is about my middle daughter, Micah. So when, when my, wife, my wife and I had, were having Micah, we were, I think, around seven, six or seven months pregnant, and we decided we were in a two-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house in California, okay, Tiny little house, old house. need a lot of updates. And so we decided we we're going to add a bathroom and a bedroom to make it a three-bedroom, two-and-a-half bath. So it was, it was a project that was going to take about six weeks is what the contractor told us. And so we hired this contractor. He comes in. He starts ripping stuff up. We've got eight weeks until the due date. And we're thinking, okay, that gives a couple weeks to whatever. That's fine. That'll be great. It'll be done by then. Um, the baby comes. Project's not done. Eight weeks later, the project finishes. During those eight weeks of Micah's first life, <laughs> first eight <laughs> weeks of life, whatever that's called, she cried constantly. Okay, so have you heard of colic? Anybody heard of colic? It's basically where your intestines aren't quite fully developed and there's issues and they have gas constantly. We bought this stuff called um, little tummies, little, L-I-L, tummies. Um, we invested in that stuff. And, and, and from 6 at night, so normally colic babies, there's a certain time of the day when they'll cry because of their schedule. And it was for me, for us, it was from 6 to 9 p.m., which is when I was getting home. And so at work, I was a pastor at a church out there, and we had started this new project, and it was all these new things, and it was causing a lot of extra stress on me. And then I, so I had, didn't really have peace at work, and I did, I'd get home and I would be handed this baby that would just scream. And if you've ever held a screaming baby that you can't do anything about, it is like nails on a chalkboard. You, can, there's, you, you want to fix it, but you can't. There's nothing you can do. It's just screaming at you. You know And so the diapers changed, the baby's fed. What do I do? Nothing. So I'm just holding. yes. And so for for eight weeks, um, which which seemed like an eternity, um, I realized, like, okay, so if I don't love this child, of course, my wife is doing a better job than me, but if, you know, if we don't love this child, who will? Because this child is doing nothing for us right now except (laughs) draining us, which is what children do until, I don't know, I'll let you know. Um, that's not true that's not true that's not true Kylie's amazing um, the other two we'll see we'll see but babies do nothing for you they, they just drain your time and your energy and your finances now if you love them emotionally they may fill you up but physically they drain you but what is it what is it about a baby that your love can grow for them and it's this principle and Jesus said it, and Jesus talked about it, and it's this, that where your investment is, there your heart will be also. Where your investment is, there your heart will be also. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your, there your heart will be. But, but when it comes to this relationship, this, this kind of covenant relationship, it's where, you, where, you, where your investment is. The reason Tucker fell in love with his dog is because he started serving this dog. And the dog did nothing for him. But, but Tucker's affection grew for the dog. The reason my affection grew for, for Micah during that time is because I recognized, like, if we didn't love her, nobody would. Like this, well, it's probably not true. But that's what it felt like. And so all of a sudden it's like, okay, I know you're screaming, but I love you anyway. And the more we served her during that time, the more my affection grew for her. This is why marriage is for grown-ups. Because sometimes it feels like you're not getting anything out of it. And, 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 and that's exactly when, if you push through, and you and you, fueled by the gospel and, and um, invest your heart, you get way more than you ever bargained for. And so next week we want to talk about what it takes to be a grown-up. Um, when it comes to these kind of relationships. Specifically, that the purpose for singleness is wholeness. And that word is going to be the word that that makes you a grown-up in order to handle something like marriage. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. So hopefully you can come back and, and we'll dive in. Let me pray. God, thank you for our time. I pray that you would use it for your purposes and your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.